Bible Center. Gary and Dee Sapp, we've known them for a good while. He preached for me down in Jackson. That's a little ways back. And uh, was a DYD of Louisiana at the time. He's a Louisiana guy. He's been in Louisiana for a long time. West Monroe, Louisiana. And uh, he's now with One Child Matters. And uh, we're going to turn it over to him. So let's give both of them a really good welcome to TFA. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Well, I didn't ask permission, but I'm going to take my my permission. I I don't preach on platforms. Is it okay, Pastor? Um, I I mean, you got to have them, but I just don't like them. Uh, Because... uh, Somewhere in the history books, I'm going to let, you, let your mind wander, there's a story that this gentleman says to his troops, do not shoot until you can see the whites of their eyes. Now, that's close. So, man knows his history. And so, here's the whole thing. I always get down here because I don't shoot until I can see the whites of their eyes. And sometimes I'll go back there and shoot. It's just, you know, just kind of cordon. But uh, we're, we're thrilled to be here. Thank you, Pastor, uh, for letting us come. Dee and I are just awesome, glad. That, and, uh, Lord, I've known Brother Raymond Giles for how long? Jesus, we don't even want to count, do we, Brother? And uh, probably know. Matter of fact, Rhonda says she remembers me being here, you know, back, uh, you know. And one pastor, when a lady in the church said, I remember you. Uh, when you were state youth director in the past, said you can't forget him. Nobody can forget him, you know. So, but anyway, we are glad to be here. But uh, uh, we travel 45, 44, 45 weeks a year, average 44 for the last 13 years, 44 Sundays every year we've been preaching somewhere. And then the other Sundays that we have left over, we go out, of, we go to other countries because we operate in 15 countries of the world. We feed, clothe, educate, and medically take care of 40,000 kids every day. Every day. This lady on this front row right here uh, so graciously took the 10 kids that we support and put them in little frame, picture frames, and everybody wants to take one of those kids. Almost every Sunday somebody says, I want that one. Well, you can't have that one. Those little picture frames are, that's our kids. We sponsor 10 every month, and uh, it's amazing because a lady in Houston, when I said that, she came up to the table after service, and she said, "Uh, you said you sponsored 10 of those kids. Is that them right there? I said, yes, ma'am. I thought, well, you undoubtedly did listen to what I said because I told you those were my kids. She said, well, uh, do you get a discount? (laughs) I said, no, ma'am, this isn't Walmart. I said, uh, it's $39 a month, every month. And I said, if I did get a discount, I said, which one of those kids you don't want to eat tomorrow or don't want to have clothes tomorrow or don't want to get an education? I said, so there's the difference, ma'am, right there. I said, just because that I do this, I, don't, I can't get a discount because it takes $39 a month to operate and have these kids. Now, we're always very upfront with everybody. This ministry was started by a man by the name of Mark Buntain, one of the greatest missionaries that ever, ever lived. And Mark, I remember the first time I met him, I picked him up at the airport in New Orleans, and I drove him to his hotel room. He got off the plane, and he looked at me, and he said, how are you? I said, fine. I said, Brother Buntain, I'm, I'm your your uh, driver, I'm to take care of you while you're here at the church. My name's Gary Sapp. He said, hello. He got in the car. He never spoke to me again. But he prayed in tongues all the way to the hotel. And it wasn't because of my driving. <laughs> I picked him up for dinner that night to go eat dinner with Pastor and, and myself and some others. And he prayed in tongues all the way to the restaurant. He greeted pastor. He talked to pastor after our meal. He got back in the car, took him back to his hotel. He prayed tongues all the way back. And I found out that's the way he lived his life. All the time. All the time. Isn't that amazing? 
Mother Teresa was a very close friend of his. And she asked him, she said, what is this about you that you speak in this gibberish? He said, no, that's speaking in other tongues. He never convinced her, though, that it was for her, too. But Mark Buntain loved kids. A little girl came to school one day, and she passed out in the classroom. Because when Mark and Hulda went to India in 1954, there was no school, private schools. There was, there was public schools, but kids couldn't afford to go. Parents couldn't pay. Mark said, we're going to start school. And they started school. A little girl came in. She passed out. And Mark asked her after they revived her. Mark said, baby, when was the last time you ate? And she said, I do not remember. He said to Holden, never will a kid come to school again and not get one nutritious meal before they leave. And we have kept that going all these years. They don't just get one meal. They get two, basically. They come that morning. They get a food bar, protein. And that before they leave that afternoon, they get a nice nutritious meal because most of them don't get anything when they get home until they get back. And so that's what he said God called him to do. And when he died in 1989, we started doing this. Uh, six businessmen took over everything. Because just before Mark died, David Burdine sat with Mark and promised him. He said, as long as there's breath in my body. And he said, whoever takes these businesses over that we own, they will never quit doing what you wanted, what God called you to do. And so we still take care of kids. We're up to 40,000. As I said to you, we operate in 15 countries. We have 268 schools. And we feed them, clothe them, educate, and medically take care of them. I just repeat that because that's where your money goes. $39, we keep $6 for administrative cost, and 33 goes to the school. In your name and in that child's name. This little boy here is from the Philippines. And it's, it's amazing because I know organizations that keep a whole lot more than we do. Hello? If you figure $6, you can figure out how, what a percentage we take. It costs $4 to print this, four American dollars to print them. So when people take them home with them and don't turn in the white form that's inside right here, they not only have kidnapped my child, it's cost us $4. Last week it cost us 20 bucks at one church because five of them went out the door. And I thought, how can they do that? One pastor said to me, how can I have five stupid people? I said, pastor, you got more than five. You just don't know it. My sheriff told me a few, not too long ago, he said, Reverend, he said, you can't deal with stupid people. He was having a bad day. I said, I know that, Sheriff. He said, no, no, you can't deal with them, Reverend. He said, they got one up on you before you ever start. They're stupid. And he said, if you deal with them long enough, Reverend, they'll drag you down to their level. He said, so I'm just telling you. You know, and I said, well, Sheriff, do you need me to pray for you? He said, yes, I do. He said, I've had a bad day. <laughs> but, but you can't take this. You can take this home, but that white form inside, you have to fill out. It's all your information. It connects you to the child. You're the only sponsor of this child. They write to you. You write back to them. Every time you write, they'll write. They'll never ask you for anything. They'll just thank you for everything. It's amazing. We get 10 letters all the time. I've been writing to them, now D writes to them. I wrote to them for years, D writes to them. It's so funny, Pastor, because when the Lord told, told us to take 10 kids, I'm, I'm just like you. I said it out loud. I said this out loud. I said, Lord, that's $390 a month. Like God can't add or multiply or subtract. He, he needs my help all the, all, you know, Lord, do you understand that's 390 a month? And Gary, and the Lord said to me, Gary, he calls me that. He doesn't call me Brother Sap. He calls me Gary. He said, I will get it to you if I can just get it through you. And for almost 11 years, that $390 has been in my checkbook every month extra. Every month. Because God is not going to let these kids do without. I tell people that all the time. They don't believe me. I say, take a step of faith. That's all you got to do. 
If you don't get an, if you don't have it, don't send it in. It's just that simple. I just know God. I had an email from a lady last night. I read it to my wife in the motel room, and she said, I was at the church I was at last week. She said, I just wanted to share something with you. She said, you said God would get it to you if he could get it through you. She said, I I had to go to Walmart this morning. And she said, I put on a pair of jeans that I had not worn in a while. And she said, for obvious reasons, I couldn't get in them. And and I understood what she was saying. I've been there, you know. And... uh, and she said, I reached and I was pushing in down my pockets and there was money in there and I pulled it out and she said there was $38 in that pocket. And she said, I found another dollar that was just laying around my house, didn't know. And she said, guess what? There's my month paid for right there. She said, God, God, I put that money in there. She said, I don't even know when I did it. I had more of those jeans in a long time. She said, but hey, she said, God took care of it. And I said, thank you. Thank you. So I text her back. And I said, can I use this? Can I share this? I won't use your name. I'll just share it. So that's what I'm telling you. God always get it to you. You're, we put ours on our credit card. It's safe with us. Any credit card you ever give us will never be compromised. I can promise you that. Because once we enter this in our computers on Tuesday morning, once they are entered, this thing gets ripped up, shredded, so nobody will ever get your credit card number. I do it. I put it on my credit card because I just get tired of writing checks. And so here it's that. And plus, I want the points. Do y'all not have a credit card where you get points? Oh, Lord, you got to get a card with points. You don't know how many things I bought with points. I mean, I got one that, I mean, I put, it, I put everything on there and get those points. You know, Dee and I have stayed in hotels free with points because that's what we do. And so you sponsor kids, you get points. You know, God's good, isn't he? Now, God's got a sense of humor. Now, if you don't believe God's got a sense of humor, in the morning when you get up, go straight to the mirror and just take a little peek. You will know God's got a sense of humor. I promise you Miss America don't look good when she gets up every morning. Now, she may, I don't know, but I got a feeling she has to get all that stuff together, you know. But anyway, you fill this out. You can write a check. You can put it on a credit card, debit card safe, or you can pay cash, or you can just write across where the credit card information goes, just the words, bill me. We'll bill you. We're going to bill you any way you pay. We're going to send you, let you know when it come out. You tell us when you want it to come out. We'll take it out the day you tell us to. But I can promise you this. God will get $39 to you every month. I can promise you that. And if he don't, you just take this form and send it back to me and say, here, you pay it, brother. And I will. I'll pay it because I can trust God. Hello? I'm I'm not bragging. And if you take this bragging, I hope God shakes you to your liver quivers. I'm bragging on God. That woman right there and myself, and that's just, this is not part of my sermon, but it's good. We, last year and the year before, 16 and 15, we gave 50% of what we made back to God. And we lived on 50%. Thank you, Lord. To God be the glory. And we are totally out of debt. Our house is paid off because after we started really giving, I mean really giving, guess what? A man called us up, paid our house off. And we just built the house 10 years ago, 10 years ago. So we owed a few hundred thousand dollars. This man calls up and pays it off. Hello. Some of you are going like, well, that's because you're a preacher. Oh, I guarantee you it's not. It's because the book says when you pay your tithe, your tithe belongs to the Lord. I could make this part of my sermon, Pastor. I could do that. When you tithe, because the book says in Malachi, as my friend in Thibodeau, Louisiana calls it, Malachi. I've told him three times, Bubba, it is 
not, it is not Malachi, it is Malachi. That's what I said, preacher, Malachi. So I just leave him alone. But it's in the book of Malachi. Go to chapter 3 and read the whole, matter of fact, read the whole book. It ain't very big. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Now, you have a weed eater, pastor, do you? I don't own, I don't own a weed eater. I don't have a lawnmower. I just believe for $35 every week so Stephen can cut my grass. And it, it comes in. God sends it in. I'm not home to cut grass, okay? So I just, God just gives me $35 and Stephen cuts the grass. If I go borrow a pastor's weed eater and 10 years later I still got his weed eater, do you know what the world calls me? A thief, a weed eater owner. That's the way some people look at it. I'll promise you that. The world calls me a thief. Now, I didn't steal it, but I went and borrowed it, and I never took it home. I might as well have stole it. Come on. Let's live in the world now, okay? We're in the church. Some people get holier when they get to church. Let's, Let's admit it. Well, here's the thing. Some people need to give God his weed eater back. Because they're keeping his money. Now, I had an old boy say this to me in, in Louisiana one time. I was preaching, and he said to me, well, because I preached, I was preaching on tithing. I was going to take a speed of the light offering, so I was preaching on giving. And he come up and sat down on me. He said, I don't talk to you. Well, I knew good and well that tone of voice. He wasn't no tither. And he said, what does all this tithe go for? I said, well, let me help you, buddy. Do you like this nice air conditioner we had in here today? He said, yes, sir. I said, you like it when the heat comes on when it's cold? Yes, sir. I said, do you like it when you call pastor, he will come pray for you if you're sick or if you need pastor or you need a staff member, they'll come? Yeah. I said, do you like it that the, all the bills of the church get paid? Yeah. I said, well, that's where your tithe goes. It does. Yeah. He said, so pastor couldn't get paid if I didn't tithe. I said, amen. I said, staff couldn't get paid. I said, that's why the Bible says the tithe is the Lord's because they're doing the work of God and they need to be paid. The Bible says the servant's worth is hire. And he said, oh. He said, so I need to tithe. I said, yes, you do. I said, what'd you make this week? He said, $1,000. I said, Really? I said, you got a checkbook? He said, sure. He pulled out and gave it. I said, let me see your checkbook. I took his checkbook, took out my pen, and I wrote, a, wrote out a check, First Assembly of God, the church he went to, $100. I said, here, sign this. He said, what is that? I said, that's your tithe, brother. He signed it. I, he, said, he said, I got to do that every week. I said, if you want to be blessed to God, you do. I said, because when you don't tithe, you get, the Bible says you're living under a curse. And I said, I ain't living under no curse. You understand? And you ain't, you ain't going to live under a curse. So next week when you come in here, if you make the same thing, you write another check for $100. He said, well, that's 10%. I said, oh, boy, you can even figure up here. You're good at math. Did you know I was back there just two years ago? And this was many years ago. And the pastor of that church, who was a new pastor, he told me, he said, he is the biggest giver in our church. The biggest giver. It's fun to give. Hello. How many ever heard of pay it forward? You ever heard of that? Well, guess what? The, the devil didn't start that. God did. Because it's a good thing. Anything the devil starts is a bad thing. How many has ever had a bad thought besides me? Let me see your hand. If you've ever had a bad thought, those aren't raising your hand, you lying. And we'll have officers for liars in just a little bit. <laughs> there ain't a person in here that ain't had a bad thought. You can't stop bad thoughts as long as the devil is alive, but you can decide how long they stay there. So if I get a bad thought, I do what the Bible says, think on good things. And buddy, when you start thinking on good things, you think about the Lord, your family, if, they, if, it don't, if the bad thought don't leave, start thinking about Popeye's fried chicken and biscuits and gravy and mashed potatoes. It'll leave. It'll leave. You get another bad thought, think about eating again. It'll leave. 
I guarantee you to leave because that's one of our passions is eating. Amen? Well, brother, we got to eat to live. Well, I know that. I very well know that. But I'm just trying to get a point across to you that we do what we're passionate about. Hello? So that's why we tithe. And then we start giving above our tithe. See, this is a good pastoral message, and I'm not a pastor, but I'm helping my pastor friend. He didn't know what I was going to preach. He didn't tell me what to preach. He didn't even ask me what I was going to preach. But I'm just trying to share with you something that I, I just feel in my spirit that it will do somebody some good because when you start giving above your tithe, you don't know what God's going to do. I never dreamed God was going to pay our house off, but he did. He gave me, and on top of that, he turned around and gave me a brand new car. I said to my wife, after I said, God's going to give me a new car. She said, well, what kind? What are we getting? I said, he said, nothing about we. <laughs> he said, me. You got a good car. He said, me. M-E-Me. -E and a guy told, called me up, told me to go get what I wanted. They'd pay for it. Isn't that amazing? Now, I first thought about a Mercedes, and I thought, they're going to pay for it, but I can't even afford oil change in the thing. So then I said, well, what do I get? And he told me. He said, why don't you, why don't you think about this? And so I did. I went and got one. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, it's been a blessing. It's a blessing when you give. You, you can quote, I, you quote this all day long. You can't outgive God. Most people that quote that, they're not givers. They just want to satisfy their little problem, whatever they think their problem is. But brother, when you start giving, tithing, and giving above your tithe, and, and you say, well, I can't afford to. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. I've told people, you take a step of faith in tithing just like you step of, take a step of faith when you sit down in that chair. When you start to sit down, you trust that chair is going to hold you. Amen? That's faith. I know this chair's built good, and it's going to hold me when I sit down. That's faith. And tithing and giving above your tithe is faith. This woman right here, four months, she was given four months to live. Told her, get your house in order, you're going to die in four months. That was 21 years ago. She'd been cancer-free for 21 years. 21 years. Isn't that amazing? They cut out half of her colon. She had gangrene already set up in her stomach. She was swollen like she was nine months pregnant. When I got her to the hospital. Matter of fact, when I put her out at the door of the hospital, they took her to delivery. I came in, I said, can you tell me where my wife is? Oh, yes, we took her to delivery. I said, for what? They said, well, she's having a baby. I said, I pray to God not. Then we got two, my quiver's full. I said, she ain't pregnant. She was swollen that bad because everything that should have been leaving her body was backing up into her stomach. And it happened in a matter of just hours. And so... They cut out half her colon. And by medical books, medic, medically, they cannot reattach a colon than when they cut out that much of it. Most people have six feet of colon. You can't medically do it. But Dr. Remedios, who's a spirit man, filled man of God, the Lord spoke to him and said, stretch it, clamp it, sew it, it'll work. That was on Sunday evening, Tuesday evening. The plumbing worked. They also took out her gallbladder and her appendix. Her plumbing shouldn't have worked till at least the fourth day. And that was not supposed to work because he was supposed to attach bags to her for the rest of her life. And the Holy Spirit said, don't you do that. She has too much to do for me and those bags will hinder her. Stretch it, clamp it, sew it, it'll work. And it worked. Now. As Paul Harvey would say, if you're old enough to know who Paul Harvey is, some of the young people are going, who's Paul Harvey? He was a radio commentator, a Christian man, a good God-fearing man. Paul Harvey would say now for the rest of the story, one year later, she goes in for a colonoscopy just to be checked over to make sure. Dr. Remedio, same guy. He checks her out, comes out, tells me. He said, there's no polyps, there's no cancer, there's nothing. He said, now here's the rest of it, buddy. He said, the three feet I cut out is back in her body. 
Now, I know, I know what some of you are thinking right now because I know the devil. Do anybody know where God speaks? Same place the devil does. Your mind. Some of you are thinking, I don't believe that. I don't give a rip. <laughs> now, I shouldn't have said that because she told me that was harsh. I'm sorry, baby. So I just need to say, I don't give a holy rip. Okay? Because we have all the medical proof. She has, she's had many, many doctors check her, and she has a full six feet of colon and has had for 21 years. We don't even know when God did it. We don't know when he even did it. Well, I got news for you. If he made it the first time, he ain't got a problem making it after that. He kept the blueprints. Amen? I'm going to show you a video. Now, all this is part of my sermon, so don't get fretted that, you, that you're not going to get out of here on time, okay? I, mean, I know what you th- I, I know, listen, I'm, I'm just as human as you are. I've said right out where you are. I listened to a guy preach two hours one night. Two hours. And it wasn't even that good. I'm telling you, it wasn't. And he got up and apologized, Pastor Charles. He said, I apologize that I preached two hours. I could not find a place to quit. I looked at her and said, shoot, I found him seven or eight places he could have quit. (laughs) I do. I do it all the time. So I'm not going to give you that opportunity. We found a place you could have quit, preacher. But I want to show you a video. This little boy right here is eight years old. His birthday is... Uh, June 29th, coming up quick. Uh, born 2008, he's from the Philippines. Just so happens that the video I'm going to show you is from the Philippines. We don't just feed these kids, clothe them, do all that stuff. We rescue little boys and girls out of prostitution. The number one country in the world today for sex trafficking is the USA. India was five years ago. Three years ago was the Philippines. Today, it's the USA. Isn't that sad? My wife serves on the board of Louisiana for sex trafficking. Works with a lady named Donna Ingvall, who is phenomenal in what she does. She works down in New Orleans in the French Quarter, helping to rescue women, getting them off the streets, getting them out of prostitution. But we rescue little boys and girls. Every day. We rescued a young lady by the name of Eileen. Eileen, which we have changed her name. Eileen, after we had her just, we put them in what we call a safe house. After we had Eileen for about probably a week or maybe two, Eileen came to us and said, I have two sisters out there. Can you go get them? We were blessed enough to rescue both her sisters All three of those girls have been with us now for three years. And a few weeks ago, we were there filming. And Eileen came up to our director and said, can me and my sisters go back to our village and pray for the lady that sold us into prostitution? That's all we want to do is just pray for her. We thought about it. And thought since we had the film crew there, like we just came up with the thing. We ain't doing this, no reenactment thing. We're going to film it as it happens. So what you're going to see is the actual footage the day they walk back in that village to pray for the lady who sold them into prostitution. Watch this video.
sometimes I can ask God why life is so unfair because some of the kids like me, they have their father, their mothers to care for them. But for me, it's Before, when I was in my home, like I'm in the darkness, I was very bad girl. But now God really changed my life. He really moved me. I'm so thankful to God that He brought my two sisters here in the safe house so that they can know Jesus and all of their dreams and hope will come true because God is always there for them. I know Jesus and God has a purpose for my life. I'm 14 years old when I first came here in the safe house and now I'm 17 years old. Someday I want to become a teacher. I was very different before than now. Now I am a new creation of God. I began to realize that He has a great plan for my life. I can see my bright future. My motto in life is never give up. No matter what trials may come my ways, I will continue to serve the Lord because God promised me that He will never leave me and I will never, never give up. Now I am a worship leader. My favorite song is Thank You Lord because it means a lot to me. You took my darkness and gave me your life. That's why that I like that because really God took my darkness and He gave His life to me. Thank you Lord. I just want to thank you Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amazing. That, that day on that bench, those girls, you know, prayed for their mom. Their mom begged their forgiveness. And they, of course, forgave her. And then they led her to Jesus. And uh, then we hooked her up with the church, her and the rest of the siblings. And uh, the pastor keeps us updated. The fact that they don't miss unless they're sick. And uh, so that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And those girls are still with us. They'll be with us until they leave. They want to leave. Uh, we uh, take them and we, give them, we train them a job. We teach them how to sew where they can get good jobs. But here's the thing about it. Once a child like this or them gets a high school education, they never live in poverty again, ever. Now, people ask me this all the time, and I'm, I'm going I'm to go from here into preaching. They say this all the time to me. How long do I have to do this? You just do it as long as you can. You just do it as long as you want to. You can stop anytime you need to. That's just the way it is. We're not going to send the One Child Matters Mafia and break your legs or, or anything because some people have to stop for different various reasons, and we understand those things. So I brought 39 kids with me today. These guys have them. They're going to stand, and I just need you. They're going to hand you one if you would take one, and here's the thing. I'll tell everybody this because I know God. You're going to get the one God wants you to have. God doesn't do anything by chance. And as a child of God, there's no coincidence in your life. You don't have luck. Did you know that? You do not have luck. Because your steps are ordered by God. So if you'll help us, we need, I just need 39 people. They'll say, hey, we'll do that. And God may tell you to take more than one. I don't know. Would anybody want the little boy from the Philippines that I'm holding in my hand? Rhonda wants the little boy. Okay. All right. I just need 39 people to say, yes, we'll take one. Uh, if you want a boy or girl, guys, it's real easy. The reds are, are, are girls and the blues are boys. So that's all you have to do. Please fill out that, that form, that white form. 
before you, uh, while I'm finishing my message today, fill out that white form and turn it in before you leave today. Okay? You got to turn it in before you leave. My mom and dad are 92 years old. They live by themselves. My sister has moved in. My sister lives with them. But, I mean, they take care of themselves. They drive, go where they want to go. They do whatever they want to do. My mom said to me the other day, she said, son, if I don't hurry up and die. Now, she's 92. She said, if I don't hurry up and die, all my friends that went to heaven is going to think I went to hell. <laughs> Pastor, which one did you get? What little child did you get? Maisie. Maisie. Four years of age, and her birthday is November the 2nd. Three days short of your granddaughters. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Guys, did you get rid of them? Okay, still got some. How many you got there, brother? One? He got one. Okay, but he's, he's got one. You got one? Got one. They just got one, a piece. Let's just give the devil a black eye. Amen? Somebody just say, I'll trust God for $39. It, listen, I'm just telling you, this ain't a thing we're going to done you and nothing you got to feel bad about. Okay? For every month you can do this, it helps us. It helps us. Okay? All righty. Okay, just make sure my, my wife gets those back, guys. Okay? If you'll do that, just make sure my wife gets those back. And make sure you fill out that white form. I have teenagers that sponsor kids. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, just bring them up here to my wife. Be fine. Okay? If you have your Bible on an iPhone or an iPad or on a Blackberry or Blueberry or Strawberry, or you just have a Bible like this, okay? Whatever you have your Bible on, and I don't know about you, but I'm glad I have my Bible on my phone. I have it in different versions on my phone. I love it. I just love it. Because I can read the Word of God sitting in the airport, which we do a lot of flying. Whatever you have it on, John chapter 21 is a beautiful story. Now, I am a storytelling preacher. I see things in the Word of God that are very comical. I see things in there that are full of truth that sometimes we overlook. In John chapter 21, it starts out there that Jesus is with seven of his 12 disciples. In this story, there's only seven of them. One of them happens to be Peter. Now, we know the life of Peter. Peter was not your super great man of God. Hello. Peter cut your ear off. That meant he had a temper. There's only one book in the four Gospels that describes what happened when Peter cut the man's ear off. Only one book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only one book describes what happened. Now, we know the story if we've read that book. That when he cut his ear off, Jesus was there and Jesus picked it up and placed it back on the guy's head or he'd have bled to death. But only one book, Matthew doesn't describe it, Mark doesn't describe it, and John doesn't describe it. Guess who describes it? Luke. One guy describes what really happened. And wasn't it ironic that Luke was the physician? Hello? I think God's got a wonderful sense of humor. I really do. So here's the story. Peter and the six guys with him are there together, and the only one that really is talked about is Peter, and it says he's frustrated with life. You know why? Because they had been walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus. They had watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. But now Jesus is gone from them. He has been crucified, resurrected, 
And the only two times they had seen Jesus before John chapter 21, he was walking through walls making doors where there were none. So they had not been around him very much. Now all this other time, they had been with him on a regular basis. Peter's frustrated. If you have never been frustrated with life since you have been a child of God, cheer up, get a smile on your face because your day's coming. It's going to happen. Things are going to happen you don't understand. I didn't understand when Dr. Remedios walked out and told me Dee has four months to live. She's got colon cancer and she's, she's got to get her house in order. I didn't understand all that. I don't understand when my kids get sick or my grandkids get sick. Now, I'm the worst about my grandkids. When my grandkids get sick, I am more concerned than I am when my daughters and my son-in-laws get sick because I don't think they're smart enough to know how to get Good care of them. Y'all don't think that way. We have four grandkids. How many of you have grandkids? Come on, be honest. You like them? You love them? Aren't they great? It's the greatest thing since peanut butter is having grandkids. And the only reason you got them is because you didn't kill the ones you had when they lived in your house. There's days I wanted to wipe them out. Amen? I don't mean literally kill them. Somebody go out here and say, he want to kill his kids. They'll have me arrested before I can get out of Tuscaloosa, Pastor. But here's the deal. Peter's frustrated because he doesn't understand what God expects out of his life. God hasn't fully told him. Jesus has not fully described to them what their job is other than to be fishers or men. So Peter's frustrated. And Peter makes a statement. He says, I'm going out to fish. And the other six guys said, we'll go with you. Well, guess what? They weren't invited. The last thing you want when you're frustrated with life is to be around people that's as bad off as you are. And those other six were just as bad. They didn't understand what was going on. They just knew, hey, we can go fish. You know why? Peter decided, if I can go do what I used to do, I go back fishing and I'll just take up my trade again. Well, let me clue you in on something. Once you've had an encounter with my Jesus, you cannot go back to doing what you used to do. You've got to do what he wants you to do and you've got to do it or you're going to be more frustrated. Now I'm going to help you with something else. And it's simply this. This whole chapter of John 21 is on commitment. The whole thing. In my travels around the whole nation, I see very little people that are really committed to God. To what God wants them to do. Because it, can, it tells so. Because if people that say they are Christians... Now just hold, hold tight, not you because you're here. Those that say they are Christians, if they were in church as often as they could be, now I believe it's okay to take vacations. I'm not against that. It's okay to travel. I'm not against that. I'm saying as often as they could be, there would not be enough seats in all of the churches in America to seat the people if they were just being church. I don't understand when Paul said we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That means when we have an opportunity, we should be in the house of God. We should be there so we can draw strength and fellowship one from another. I don't understand people that don't go to church. But I, don't, I, have, I, I was preaching Baptist churches. I preach in Church of God. I preach in Sims of God. I preach in Methodist churches. I've even been in a Catholic church. Pastor, I think you said last night, y'all been in one, didn't you? Was it you? It, it was Murray Kelly. He'd been at a Catholic church. Now, that's different going to a Catholic church. I was in a church in New Orleans a few weeks ago, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, get ready, you're fixing to get this service. Now, they were doing praise and worship. And the pastor walked right up, cut it off, and said, brother, you're supposed to take charge of this service right now. I got up, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my mind, preach on the gifts of the Spirit now. Talk about speaking in tongues. 
I did. And when I gave the altar call, immediately I said, if you've never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward right now if you want to receive it because he only gives gifts to those that want them. Twelve people lined up across the front. After service, I found out all 12 of them were out of the Catholic Church. They all had come from the Catholic Church because they had heard at that church they had, they had things going on like speaking in tongues and they wanted to part, be a part of it. They'd given their life to Jesus Christ and so all 12 of them come out of a bad... The pastor didn't even know they all came out of a Catholic church and we don't know if they came together. We don't know what happened but they all 12, every one of them, you Catholic? Yeah. You Catholic? Yeah. You Catholic? Matter of fact, at the end, one of them said to me, do you know I'm a Catholic? While they were talking in tongues, they quit talking in tongues and started speaking to me in English. Do you know I'm a Catholic? I said, praise God. Now you're a tongue-talking Catholic. Let me tell you something. God's not so much concerned with denomination. God's looking for people that'll give their heart and life to him and accept what he has from that book. Amen? Now, I love the assemblies of God. I don't plan on ever leaving them. But I'm just telling you, there are more people going to be in heaven than assemblies of God. But all 12 of those Catholic people spoke in tongues that morning. Last year, we had 403 people in our services, get the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. 256 got saved last year. It's amazing. I mean, I said it's amazing. It's for, it's for the church. Hello. If the gifts are for the church, why don't the church use them? You, you should not go a day. If you've got the Holy Ghost and the Spirit, you should not go a day without praying in tongues. You should not go a day. Well, I, well, I, I get busy. Well, get while you in your car riding down the road praying tongues. Don't just don't close your eyes. Close your eyes, you're gonna get to heaven quicker than you want to. You need to you need to use the gift God gave to you. Hello, and if He gave it to you, it's still there. He just waiting on you to use it. So here's the thing: they get out in the boat. The Bible says they fish all night and they catch nothing. Now, if you're taking medicine, it's twelve o'clock. Just in case you're tired, I don't want you to miss your medicine. Okay? I see people, they, oh God, here, he's still going. I'm going to quit here in just a minute. Okay? But here's the whole thing. They got out in the boat. They, the Bible says they caught no fish all night long. So to add to their frustration, they caught no fish. If I go fishing, I want to catch something. And immediately, Jesus, the Bible says, shows up on the shore. Guess what? He just didn't immediately show up. He had been there all night watching them boys. He knew exactly what they were doing, just like he knows what you're doing. Don't you ever think he don't know what we're doing when we think nobody else knows what we're doing. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. The Bible says a man who they don't know, who a man they didn't recognize, who a man they had been with watching miracles happen, says, hey, boys, have you caught anything? Now, you tell me he ain't got a sense of humor. He knew they hadn't caught anything. Now, he's added to their frustration because they don't know who he is. But I know Peter and John was in that boat, I'm sure. Bible don't say, but it's his book. I think John was in there. Doesn't matter. There were six more in the boat besides Peter. I got a feeling somebody would have been like we would have been. This ain't a parable, folks. This, ha- this, re- this is happening, okay? This is a happening. Say, say if you, what's your first name? Ash, what if you and I had been in that boat together? We would have looked at each other. We'd have said, who is that? We've been out here all night long. We ain't caught nothing. And he comes around taking his little morning stroll. Hey, boys, y'all caught anything? And I got a feeling that's what they did. And all of a sudden, the man who they don't recognize said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And the Bible says they immediately responded, caught 153 large fish. Hello. And so, do you talk to yourself like I do? If you ain't talking to yourself, you're missing half your life. (laughs) And if you ain't answering yourself, you miss another half of your life. I was riding down the road the other day by my house. Guy's walking down the sidewalk. They ain't a soul around him. And boy, he's, he's just 90 miles an hour. 
He's talking away. And I, out loud in my car, I said, go ahead, brother. I feel you, man. I've been right where you at. Just talking away. I've talked to myself in my car out loud. The other day, I made a wrong turn, and I said out loud, well, you dumb idiot. You supposed to turn three blocks back. I had my mind on something else. But my eyes was on that road. So here's the whole thing. They didn't catch it, but they respond to a man they don't even know. So I asked myself this question, why? Why did they do that? Let me tell you why in my sap theology. Because they didn't, they didn't recognize him, but they recognized the voice. They had heard that voice before when he said, blind eyes open, dead man come back to life. They'd heard that voice when he said, lame person, get up and walk. Get up and take your bed and go about your business. They heard that voice before. They responded to the authority in the voice. Then Jesus was going to prove something to them big time. Because Peter and John, I think Peter looked over at John. I don't know if he did or if he didn't, but he looked to somebody. Because somebody in that boat said, it wasn't Peter, some one of the other six, said, it's the Lord. And I went, duh. You ain't caught nothing all night long. A man who you don't even recognize says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. That net had been on the right side of the boat already. They'd been out there all night long and they catch 153 large, the Bible says, fish. Peter grabs his coat, puts it on, jumps out of the boat, walks to Jesus because they weren't but 100 yards offshore. He didn't walk on the water. He didn't need to. He could touch the bottom. He walked to Jesus because he knew the answer to his frustration and all of his life's problems was standing on the shore in the name of Jesus Christ. And if I just get to Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get to him. And that's a lot of our problem today. We think it's too comfortable to stay in the boat. Sometimes you just got to get out of the boat if you want to get your problem solved. You got to get to the shore where Jesus is. And they, Peter took off. And the Bible says this. And I, this is point one, okay? Point one was this. Them old boys hadn't caught a thing until Jesus showed up. So Jesus was proving to them, if you want to have success... You have got to let me get in the middle of what you're doing. Never had success till Jesus got in the middle of it. And a lot of you today, you're never going to have success in life. You're never going to have success in your family. You're never going to have success in your business if you own a business until you let Jesus get in the middle of what you're doing. Because if he ain't in the middle of it, all the success goes out the window. And that's everybody's life. He's got to be in the middle of what I'm doing. Amen? In the church and out of the church. He's got to be in the middle. He gets there and I think Jesus did this because Peter was that kind of guy. Hold it, Peter. Had, you, don't, you don't just tell Peter, hold it. You got to stick your hand out. Hold it, Peter. He said, go get some of what you caught. Now I said, why would he need their fish? The Bible said he already had bread and fish on the fire. I know Jesus didn't eat sushi, at least raw sushi, because he said he had bread and fish on the fire that was cooking. He knew how many was in the boat. He knew how hungry they were. He knew everything about them. Now, why did he want them to go bring some of what they caught? Because you won't find anywhere in this book that they ever cleaned the 153 fish not at least at that point. I'm sure they did. You don't throw away 153 large fish. I'm sure they cleaned them later. But Jesus didn't need their fish. But he said, go get some of what you caught. He's teaching them lesson number two. If you want what I got, you got to be willing to give what you got. Hello? See, the problem is most of us, we're not willing to give what we got to get what he's got. Because what he's got is much better than what you're going to give away. Hello. So, they get there and Jesus says, let's eat. The Bible says they sat down, they ate together. Then Peter and Jesus got up and walked off together. I'm landing this plane, by the way. Okay. I have a pastor friend that he told me when he's preaching, if he goes too long, his wife does this. I told her she might want to start that. 
he, she just keeps, I'm going to cut your throat if you keep going. And if he keeps going, she goes. He said she'll stick her hand straight out and do like it, pointing a gun at me. I won't shoot you if you don't quit. So I don't want you to do that. I don't want Dee to do that, but I'm quitting. They got up and walked off together, and Peter, Jesus, and Jesus said to Peter. Now, Peter wanted to talk to him, but he, said, he didn't let him talk. He looked at him and said, Peter, you love me. That's all he said. You love me. It's all about commitment. You love me. Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed them. Walked off again the second time, stopped and said the same thing. Peter, do you really love me? Do I really love you, Lord? I'm the one who got out of the boat. I'm the one who got to you first. Yeah, I love you. He said, well, feed my lambs. Now, when he said that, I got to thinking, lambs are little. So that's talking about feeding the little kids. That's why we have youth camps and children's camps, children's church, and a nursery. Hello? Feed my lambs. Then he walked off third time. Jesus asked him three times, and the Bible says Peter got aggravated. Now, that's amazing to me. You're right there with Jesus. You know it's Jesus, and you're going to get aggravated with a man that can wipe you off the face of the earth? I don't think so. But Peter got aggravated according to the book. Now, if you don't read it, if you don't believe it's in the book, read it. And, and if you don't believe it, Google it. There's two things in this world you can't hide from, God and Google. You can move tonight. Google will find you in the morning, wherever you move to. It's in the book. Peter, do you love me? Third time. Of course, Peter didn't. He said, feed my lamb or feed my sheep, he said. Because see, Jesus knew something that Peter did not know. If you go from John 21, that's the end of the book. That's it. 21 chapter John, end of the book. The next book is Acts. First chapter starts it out. Peter stands up. Hello. Preaches. The Bible says 3,000 people gave their heart and their life to Jesus that day. 3,000. See, it's all about commitment because Jesus knew if Peter did not make a commitment to him right there on that shore, Peter would not be able to do what he did in Acts 1, 2, and 3. Read it. Jesus knows more than you and I know, my friends. He knows what your afternoon holds. He knows what your tomorrow holds. He knows everything about you. He knows what's going to come good or come bad, and he's going to take care of it. All we've got to do is just commit our whole life to him. And it ain't a little commitment like, okay, Lord. No, it's a real commitment. It's a real commitment because I'm afraid there are going to be people that sit on church seats and in church pews that think they're okay, and when the rapture comes, they don't go. And you want me to tell you why? Because they're not really committed. They verbally say it, but their actions don't prove it. I'm telling you. I see it every Sunday. It's a sad thing. I said it's a sad thing. Because I know when we come to church, we want to preach glory, hallelujah, shout them up. Don't, don't preach nothing bad, you know. Well, this ain't bad. This is good. Because if you're not committed, I'm going to tell you, it ain't going to get, it ain't going to get better. It's going to get a lot worse. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's closer to the coming of Jesus than a lot of us Christians even think. Because we just go through life doing our thing. Don't we? Yes, we do. So I'm going to ask you today as you stand this morning. I'm going to ask you today. I want to know. Pick, take my phone, baby, with you. I'm going to close this service this way. You going to play the guitar, keyboard, or something? Okay. That's good. Thank you. I want to ask you today. How committed are you? It's 12-15. How committed are you? How committed are you to your family? How committed are you to God? 
How committed are you to what he wants you to do? How many times have you shucked off something he's told you to do and never done it? How many times? See, I've been guilty of that. I'm not innocent. I've been guilty of it. How many times? So how committed are we? Did you know they put out a little deal a few weeks ago, and I happened to read it on the Internet, George Barnum? You know probably who I'm talking about. He's, a, he's an author, very much an authority on church relations. He says that the average person that says they're a child of God goes to church two Sundays out of a month. Other times they're doing other things. He wasn't slamming anybody. He was just saying the average people go two times a month. I don't want to miss the rapture, folks. Amen? Are you with me? How many wants to go in the rapture? (laughs) For you that didn't raise your hand, you need to think that over. Some people don't raise their hand because they think it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. But I don't want others to miss the rapture. I don't want my own kids to miss the rapture. Nor my grandkids. And I have a son-in-law that's not living for God. But I don't want him to miss the rapture. If I'm going to heaven, I want to take all with me I can. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to do something that's not really spiritual. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. Nothing spiritual in that. We do it as a matter of reverence to the Lord. And I don't want anything to disturb you at all. But guess what? There's two people in this church that knows if sin is in your life. That's you and God. You're not hiding anything from him. I said, there's two people in this service that knows if there's sin in your life and that's you and God. And I don't want you to leave this church today with sin in your life. Because sin, the Bible says, separates you from the fellowship of God. And I'm going to ask you to let me pray for you. I'm going to ask you to, in just a moment just to lift your hand if you would like for me to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want the pleasure and the privilege of praying for you before we leave today. So if there is sin in your life and you know it, nobody's looking, I promise you. I'm looking, that's it, me and God. You're not doing it for me. You're doing it to say, God, I recognize their sin in my life and I am raising my hand to say to you, I want to get it out. I want to repent. Because when you repent of sin, you don't go back and do it anymore. It's over with. I don't care what it is. You may think you have hid it from everybody, but God sees you when you sit down at that computer, man or woman. God sees what's on that computer. God sees where you go. You're not hiding it from anybody. And especially God. So if you want me to pray for you, I just want you to put your hand up and put it down. That's all I'm asking you to do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Anybody else before I pray? Those nine can put their hand down. Ten, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, I see that. Eleven. Anybody else want me to pray for you? Eleven people. You're acknowledging to God, I know it's there and I want it out. I want to get rid of it today. I don't want to leave here with it. I might have came with it, preacher, but I'm not leaving with it. I want to commit my sin to God today and I want to be free. I want to be free. Anybody else before I pray for those 11? Anybody else? All right, could I ask a favor of the rest of you? 
would you repeat this prayer with me and the 11 that raised their hand? Would you do that? Dear Jesus, today I repent of my sin. Cleanse me. God, I know it's there. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. And Lord, if I do sin again, I will immediately ask you to forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to look at me. That last part does not give us a right to sin. Do you hear me? Well, God, if I sin, I'll just ask you to forgive me. And No, no. You don't just ask him to forgive you. You repent of it. Repent means turn from it and don't do it again. But don't dare let sin get into your life and let it fester and destroy your life. Because it will. It will destroy your life. And not only your life, it will destroy the people around you. Don't let it happen. Because let me tell you, when I mess up, boy, I immediately, Father, forgive me. I repent of that, Lord. And I ask you to, Lord, help me never do it again. Amen. Thank God for 11 people that were honest with God. Thank God for 11 people that were honest with God. You don't know who they were. I couldn't even go touch them right now. I might touch one of them or two of them, but it, don't, it ain't for me. It ain't for me. He saw it. He saw that hand. He saw that commitment. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for letting us be here today. Thank you for sponsoring kids today. God bless your heart for helping our kids. And if you maybe changed your mind, you want to go by the table and see D do that. And that white form. Oh, Lord, don't take that white form home with you. And if you take that white form home with you, may the fleas of a thousand camels inherit your bed tonight. If you take it home, you start itching. You're going to say, oh, that preacher prayed that. Turn the white form in, okay? I love you folks. Thanks for letting me be myself today. Amen, Pastor.